0: The very thought of what's going on in our child's brain probably baffles most of us. I mean, how many times might we contemplate why uh, why our child acts the way that they do or what made them melt down in the grocery store or flare up at their sister, freak out when they need to, write a book report? bring food in their room, get up from the table and just leave their dish right there? I mean, wait a second, I might have just morphed into talking about my own kids there. Our children's brains and development are complex, but my next guest is going to simplify simplify things for us so that we can help them get back on track after losing so much ground during the pandemic. We can make some simple changes and add some easy activities that can help our children thrive. Dr. Rebecca Jackson is an industry leader in brain health and optimizing the brain to enhance how you feel and function. She brings 15 years of brain balance experience to her role as chief programs officer. In this role, she's published research on improving cognition, development, and well-being, and has designed programs to meet the growing demands of people wanting to achieve more for themselves and their children. Dr. Jackson is the author of the new book, Back on Track, and is a frequent media guest as an expert on improving brain health, development, and cognition. Welcome to my friend and this fabulous colleague, Rebecca Jackson, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks,
1: Robin. I'm so excited to be here this morning.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you. Before we launch in, could you tell us what lights you up?
1: Honestly, this this topic lights me up. You know, I'm a parent myself. You and I talk about this all the time. And I talk to, to parents all day. And knowing how much as parents, we internalize and observe our kids and watch and worry. And we want to make sure that they're okay, that they're doing well. And giving parents the tips and the tools to help support their kids and for me it's providing the why there's such an aha moment when it clicks into place of that behavior isn't just your child being a pill but there's a true reason for it and so when that light bulb moment goes off and that understanding that guides us in a positive direction because if we know where something is coming from then we're so much better equipped to support it and so what lights me up is providing parents with an understanding, and then an action plan to provide help and support.
0: Love it, so important. Now your book helps us to look into all different parts of development, physical development, sensory development, fine motor, social, all different ones. You say in the physical development section that we want to maximize coordination so that we have the ability to, to decide what's right, you know, to do at a certain time, the right thing to do at the right time. That means that we can move in the right way on the lacrosse field or in a dance class and not do those very same movements in the middle of math class or a spelling bait. So if our child is perhaps. Not very sporty, not that into all these exercises, but we're hearing that physical development is important. What can we do with them and how can we get them interested in doing these types of things? Sure. I'm going to back it up before I answer that question,
1: just to give you the why. Why is physical coordination and movement so important? Everything in development builds on itself. It is all a series of events that starts from in utero. And it was fascinating to me when I was pregnant and had kids when they were young, there's so many great tools and resources to tell us what development looks like in utero and up to age two. There Mm -hmm. are fewer resources to tell us What does development look like in social emotional categories and handling upsets in anxiety for kids beyond ages two and older? So I wrote the book that I wished I had had when my kids were younger and still would look to now at this age. But we know that development is a very specific chain and sequence of events. And we know that if anything in that sequence derails, it's going to complicate things downstream. So one of the easy ways to think about this or understand this is to know that disorganized body is a disorganized brain Mm. and a disorganized brain is going to be disorganized behaviors and actions and thoughts. And so with the brain and with development, it all starts simple and then it builds in complexity over time. So with an infant, it starts with something as simple as being able to lift their head up or being able to wave with one hand rather than two hands. And then over time, it builds in that complexity so they can crawl and walk. And then things become more multitask where we're engaging more parts at the same time. And that's what we need in our brain. We need our brain to be able to access many different functions all at the same time so they all come together. So I always give the example of, as you and I are having this conversation, we're on video, so we can make eye contact through the camera screen so I can watch your face to see, are you nodding along? Is this making sense? So I'm watching you, I'm listening to you, I'm blacking out, blocking out distractions while trying to state a a complex thought in an organized way that takes all those separate functions coming online together. That's organization and timing and it starts with physical. So to get a non-sporty kid to move sometimes requires doing it as a family. It might take you doing it with them and it's experimenting and exploring until you find the thing that they love. And I think you and I growing up, there was much more of an emphasis on the team sports. I mean, we only had so many things available to us and it was, you know, dance or soccer, kids have so much more at their disposal. I mean, I know your kids do such unique and interesting activities with circus class and and um, trapeze. There's something out there for everyone, and and just know that movement is critical. And so, keep experimenting and exploring until your child finds the thing that they love, whether it's on a team or doing it by themselves, or you doing it with them.
0: Mm, it's it, it's so valid for you to acknowledge that. Kids are going to be different. Not everybody's going to be a team sport kid. Not everybody is going to be a sport kid. And uh, yes, you're right. Like Tally just finished doing all those circus silks. And uh, Noah wound up saying to me last year, oh, I really would like to take hip hop. And, you know, it's not, might not have been like the first thing that I would think of, even though he is great at dance. And And then that's what he did. He went into hip hop. Now both of my kids came to me independent of each other and said they wanted to start going to the gym. So they joined a gym and went and have gone through a middle school orientation um, and 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 are now like actually made a plan to go to the gym after school today. So th- there's all kinds of things that our kids can do uh, that may not be in, in the sports realm. And I just know that personally, just because my kids don't like team sports very much. That's just not who they are, pushing them into that makes it unenjoyable for everybody. Wouldn't you agree? I would. And honestly, that was
1: me. I'm, I'm not, I I always describe myself as active, not athletic. If you throw a ball at me, I'm going to duck and cover. I'm not. And because (laughs) I'm not good at those things, it's not fun for me to be competitive with things. So I'm not driven by winning in those regards. And so I get that for our kids, but I also know when we move our body, what it does to increase levels of happiness, our memory and attention, it's not only exercising and building pathways in our brain that's going to support things like sustained attention and impulse control, but it also makes us happier and healthier overall. And so working with our kids to instill a love and enjoyment and a comfort with pushing themselves and challenging themselves physically is good for their long-term mental health, as well as their short-term immediate
0: development. Mm. So one of the things that you also talk about is sensory development, and there are some kids we hear about that this is an extreme issue for them. They have trouble in this department. They don't like how their clothes feel. Their socks are too bumpy. Their, the tag is annoying them. They don't like how food feels on their tongue. Like certain ones are just uncomfortable, or they they don't like the texture. So how how does this apply then to helping? the picky eater or the person who has trouble putting on certain clothes, like how can we get them on board with like a solution to discuss it so that we're not always at odds, like the one that's like, but you got to eat this, but you need the nutrition, but you got to get clothes on to go to school and you can't wear the pajamas again. You wore that shirt yesterday. How do we do this in a way that includes them, connects with them, and then helps them in the long run?
1: Sure. Let's do the same thing. Let's start big picture talking about yeah. the importance of sensory, and then let's drill down to some specific examples. You know, one of the things that I hear parents doing all the time is minimizing the sensory concerns. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just a sensory kid, or oh, it's just tags and textures, she'll be fine. It's not a reason to panic when your child has dysregulation or or differences in processing sensory input, but that is tremendously important information. Our experience of life, of learning, of social interactions, of every day is dependent on the processing of our senses. There's some statistics that say that over 75% of brain capacity is dedicated to our sensory systems. And if we have differences, dysregulation and sensory processing, it's going to take away from our ability to pay attention, to block out distractions. It has an, a negative impact on memory and cognition. Our sensory experiences everything. It contributes to all aspects Aspects of life. And so to me, it's the first thing that we should be talking about and the last thing that we should be minimizing. And how we experience our senses, we all assume that you and I experiencing experience everything the same and that it just simply isn't the case. And our kids don't always have the language or ability or know that the way they're experiencing something is different. But so watching your child, seeing are they you know, when they're starting to melt down or get upset, is there something you can do and shift and change in their sensory environment to reduce the load? Because our senses are so important, it takes energy, from our brain to process that input. And when we think about a child and experiencing something new, what's really important to know is the first time they experience something is gonna be more draining. Mm. And then when they do the same thing over and over, it becomes familiar to the brain, which is why the kids love familiar things. It's comfortable and it requires fewer resources to process. So we want our kids to have varied sensory exposure and we wanna start short and and light and little and progressively build over time. And the conversation that we have with our kids is telling them about strengthening their brain. We understand what it looks like to strengthen our muscles. We've Mm -hmm. got to think about our brain as the same way. And so- you know, if we were to talk about picky eating, that could be a whole series of episodes in and of itself. We, we
0: might need to do that one. Yeah, yes.
1: I, I don't want to, I never turn it into a power struggle, which is so easy for it to happen. Um, you know, when it comes to picky eating, simple exposure, mm-hmm. even if it's just on their plate and they don't eat it, if they just start by touching it, play with your food. It, it's it, That's a sensory experience in itself. They're seeing the, the green color of a kiwi and they're mushing that cold, wet, squishy kiwi with their hands. If they never put it in their mouth, playing with food is still a powerful sensory experience. And maybe if they play with it enough, eventually they'll lick their fingers so they're not sticky anymore and and taste it. But talking to our kids about the fact that we want to strengthen the part of the brain that that finds it stressful to eat different foods. We wanna strengthen the part of the brain that's uncomfortable when you hear loud noises. So it's not about making them uncomfortable on purpose. It's backing up. So if it's a loud noise, start with a quieter noise and then do that often until it's comfortable. And then you can gradually increase how long they hear the noise for or how loud it is. But it's about repetition to increase strength. And it's nothing that the kids need to feel bad about. It's nothing wrong with them. It's just an area of their brain that we're going to work on strengthening so things are less stressful for them and
0: more comfortable. I think this is so good. I love the way that you explain things. It's it's very similar to uh, where I explain in my book um, in How to Talk to Kids About Anything in, in, in the fear ladder, you know, where you're doing exposure therapy over a period of time where a a child is afraid of a dog you're not going to start with like throwing them in the backyard with a dog you're going to start with maybe showing him a picture of a dog and reading books about dogs and then maybe you eventually get into seeing a video about a dog and then maybe you see the dog across the street and you wave hi but there's little 10 steps to get to that point where you can actually be standing in the same room with the dog where you might be able to actually touch the dog, you know, and pet the dog. That's the, that's level 10 where, where you may have a goal for that, or actually putting the kiwi in your mouth, maybe level 10, but this, there's so many things you can do in the backup number one, two, and three before you get there. So I thought that was, just super interesting um that it's it's such a similar way of approaching things.
1: It it really is. And it's you know, even though it's not neurologically exactly the same as a muscle, it is that repetition gives ease and comfort in the brain. And I think, you know, it's so easy as a parent. We and I do it myself, we look at the fire in front of us. And so when your child is melting down at 10 o'clock on Sunday night because they're just starting homework and haven't, and, you know, they're stressed and overwhelmed. You know, it's not about looking at that moment. And, and I'll parlay this into anxiety here is, you know, we're we're seeing such an escalation in kids of all ages that are facing some really challenging anxiety experiences. And it's yeah. real and it's stressful and it impacts school and social, but understanding how our sensory processing contributes to our body's comfort with things and as parents we want to jump to that that moment of anxiety but we forget to take a step back to say what are the differences why is my child's brain experiencing the same experience as another child with a different result Mm
0: -hmm. and i always
1: want to go back to the basics is what can we do to strengthen that underlying foundational development that supports our overall well-being
0: it's it's brain health overall So uh, just to kind of push the envelope a little bit on that, because you say in your book that anxiety is triggered when sensory input is unknown, and you were just sort of reiterating that here, what would you recommend we do? Now I hear like what to do with like the Kiwi or the homework or whatever, but like, what do we do if we know the child's going to be going to a new place? Um, the newness cannot be avoided. You know, we can't squish the kiwi. this the, you're going to be going to this new place with these new people with these new smells with this new input. It's a play or something. You're going into a theater. you're going to a new school. you're going to somebody's house, new. Now, what are we doing in that situation?
1: Yeah, you know, I always again, I want to back it up of if. It's not just about preparing for that moment, what were you doing in the year or two years leading up to that mm-hmm. moment? The stronger we are in foundational development, the more ease we're going to have. There was a really fascinating study out of UNC Chapel Hill that looked at task switching and they were able to predict severity of ADHD from looking at how easily somebody could switch from task to task. And I use that example because it's our comfort with new and different and unknown. And so the more immature we are in our development, the harder it is to do something new. The more energy and resources it's going to take from us. So there's the long-term approach of strengthening that underlying foundation. But then in that moment, you're now there, you know, you're about to head out the door, you're meeting friends and family at a play. How do you prepare your child? To me, and I think you'll agree with this, It's always acknowledging what's real to our kids. Their experience of life is not ours. And when we tell them, oh, you're fine, you'll be okay. That's telling them that what they feel isn't real. And and that's not okay. If you tell me I'm not mad, you're going to make me more mad. (laughs) So (laughs) we've got to acknowledge, you know, I know something new can be stressful, And then support them. You know, I'm here with you. We're going to do this together. If you need to hold my hand, or if you want to have a secret word, if you want to tell me nachos, and that means you need a break, let's go into it with a plan and an understanding. And then, like you said, what can we do with the exposure to prepare them? Think about, you know, connect it to an experience they've already had. So if you're going to a play, maybe they've been to a movie. So you're sitting in the theater, it's cold, it's dark, it's quiet did you enjoy that experience let's you know connect it to something that might be similar to an experience that they already know and then mm-hmm. what to do before to prepare don't load them up with sugar if we're loading them up with sugar we're going to we're going to spike their energy they're going to have a hard time harder time regulating their mood and emotions mm-hmm. and so in the preparation leading up to it spend some time, do some physical exercise and activity when we engage the part of our brain that goes breathless. So when we engage the muscles and go breathless, the calming mechanism in our body kicks in to bring our breathing and heart rate back to rest. Mm. So if you spike the heart rate and have it come back to rest, you're exercising the calming mechanisms. So mm. spend 10 minutes in place, freeze tag in the front yard, spike heart rate, recover, spike heart rate, recover, go into it with a plan, set expectations and and let your kids know they're not alone, they're supported. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be my, my in the moment.
0: I love that. And I agree with you that the preparation is just as important. I would also add to what you're saying that if you have a child, and I talk about this in my book, but if you have a child who you know is going to have some difficulty with some of these new types of things, and you know that you're going to be going to this play, drive to the theater, you know, before, drive to the theater days before, a couple of weeks before, there's the theater we're going to be going to. Remember what play we're going to be seeing, listen to them, some of the Music you're going to be hearing, you know. Read the book. Uh, go and see if you can actually walk into that theater at, when they're not. There's no pressure, and you can leave within two minutes and see if you can get your child used to walking through the door, saying hello to the person who works there, uh, seeing if they can see the empty theater. You can do some of these tasks in advance so that. What is new doesn't seem so new. And in fact, your child can actually show the other friend, hey, I was here before and this is where the bathroom is, you know, so that he can or she can lead the way. Would you agree with that? I would. And the other thing that I would add to that is
1: ask your kids. So often we jump to conclusions and we make assumptions based on previous experiences and so the number of times where I've thought my child was worried about one thing, mm. and when I ask them what they're actually worried about, maybe something completely different. Okay. So maybe they're worried about, I have to sit for two hours, am I going to get a chance to go to the bathroom? And mm. I think they're worried about being in a noisy, chaotic environment with tons of people. Ask them. Mm. And so often it's more simple than, than what we may think.
0: That's awesome. Let's move on to the fine motor. And I know you're going to want to give us the, the sort of grand scale. So give us the grand scale, you know, in, in, in a condensed uh, way and, and answer this, like if our child has some trouble with fine motor skills, uh, and we know from your book and probably from experiences who are listening in that that can lead to some frustration in school, what do you suggest for a child who is having trouble writing or doing some of the types of skills that fine motor takes, uh, tying shoes, things that maybe their their friends are able to do they are not able to do and and what is it that we should be doing with them and how can we kind of talk them through that they're not there's nothing wrong with them, and there's some things we can do about this? Absolutely, all of these things are observations
1: that point us in a direction, so we know how to efficiently help our kids. And the tying the shoes is such a perfect example. Where again, the parent is going to jump to, we're going to practice where you're struggling. You can't tie your shoes? Let's tie your shoes.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: is a recipe for frustration and failure yes. for both the parent and the child, and nobody wins. I've in that done moment. that.
0: I've done that.
1: I know. It yes. feels it feels like the obvious answer, right? Is it's yeah. not going well, so let's do more of it. But to me, that's a red flag. And again, we're going to back it up. So there is a infant reflex that all babies are born with that they should outgrow by two years of age. If that reflex is still present, that child, their hands move as a reflex, not with volitional control. So I'm now asking them to do something, assuming that they have total control over their hands, that they may be not. And right. it, signs and symptoms that a child maybe either outgrew that reflex later or still retains it, is going to be things like an altered pencil grasp. And so instead of doing that you know, three-point hold, maybe they're holding it with their whole fist or supporting it you know, with a couple of fingers or pushing really, really hard, that lack of smooth, coordinated dexterity is a sign that that's immature. So you wanna go back and exercise the reflex. And the beautiful thing is, When you exercise the reflex and they now have control, they're going to learn the thing, the handwriting, the spacing, how hard to push with a pencil, the tying of the shoes with so much greater ease. It's like if you wanted me you know, to, to write a sentence in French, but I don't know, you know, a single word in French. I need the basics before I can do the big thing. Tying your shoes is the big thing. We need the basics first. So you need volitional control and then you work on practicing
0: the skill. So, I mean, we, we, we know, you know, me, uh, we we know each other personally and you know that Noah had like the most extreme spinal glant reflex ever still, still there. But he uh, has matured through it and definitely, you know, struggled with the with some of the writing and uh, tying shoes happened extremely late and on his own accord. Uh, I had to just drop the rope and and just be like, that's fine. We're going to wear Velcro shoes at this point and we're just going to move on. And it was when he decided he wanted to wear tie shoes. And I said, I am happy to buy these for you but this is like a practical thing like we get to figure out how to tie shoes and he's like i'm going to learn and he sat down and within 3 days he was tying his shoes like not an issue it was so quick it surprised me completely i w- he he just walked over to me sat down he's like i know how to tie my shoes i'm like i i i don't un- i don't understand like how does this happen that you 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 didn't know how and now you do But it was like, it was just an ongoing struggle. And then I was like, well, let's go right now. We're going to go, we're going to go get you some tie shoes. And we got him, you know, two pairs of tie shoes and he's worn them since. That's it. And, and I, I love so
1: much about that because number one, he did it when he was developmentally ready. Yes. There are things that, that we don't need to be taught that we do them naturally through development, but when it's not, not happening naturally, it usually means there was something missed in development. So we need to go back in and fill in that gap and hole. And then this is your chance to build his confidence and show him what was hard for you before you're doing now that tells me how much your brain is growing and maturing yes. and developing. And then that tells me, guess what? Let's try the next thing that was hard. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see you master that. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's attempting the things when the kids are developmentally ready for it is when it's going to be successful. And the challenges schools and teachers and yes. everyone in our lives we look at the child's age to set expectation. Yes. I, I, And I have to work hard to not do that myself. Mm-hmm. You need to look at the individual. Where are they? What is appropriate for this child? It's not about the fact that they're in fifth grade and everybody else is doing it or they've got 40 minutes of homework because that's what was assigned or that's what didn't get done during the day. We need to meet our kids where they are. We need to have realistic lenses that we're looking at them at so we can meet them where they are. And then we get to support them moving forward. It doesn't mean that they get away with murder or we make excuses for mm-hmm. them. We allow them to be successful. We set our expectations based on current
0: development, and then we foster that growth going forward. It would be so interesting to have like seen what was going on in his brain over the last year, Because everything changed, you know, we went to the doctor to, uh, to, you know, for his birthday appointment, he had grown four inches, gained 13 pounds. He had like he was tying his shoes. He uh, has a friend group. He's part of like, mom, um, this weekend, we made a plan to go to the movies. uh, I'm going to be in the car with this one. We're meeting that. And it's just a complete change. And in fact, my mom actually said to me yesterday, she said, you sent me this picture of these five guys, just my son and his friends at the movies. Uh, that my friend took. He, she said, you send me this picture of these five get, kids. And I was like, why is she sending me this picture of these five random kids? She's like, I didn't even realize it was Noah because he's changed so much. And it's just seeing him in this element with this smile and the confidence and the maturity, everything about him has developed and changed over this year period from physical to you know the sensory to the emotional, it's just such a wow. Oh, that that's amazing. And it yeah. it's so
1: true. You know, we think about our, our growth spurts with our kids in physical and we, yes. we watch it physically. Four inches in a short amount of time is insane. The yeah. same thing is happening cognitively and developmentally. Yeah. We just don't get to see it as much. And so there's these pops and plateaus and bursts of development that it, and, and it allows these things to come together at a whole different level. And then they get to express who they are as, as kids and
0: people at a whole different level, which is yeah. so exciting. It's so exciting. So I'm going to move to a, a topic that I know a lot of people love to talk about because it's on our minds. Attention. Okay. This is a chapter in your book that I know people are going to be playing, you know, paying close attention. So many kids have trouble in this department, especially after the pandemic, but pre-pandemic too. I mean, this is a tough one. Screens, uh, the amount of time that they're doing, Uh, TikTok and uh, and Fortnite and it's a laundry list of YouTube. Okay, everybody's on the same page. I bet you we're all on the same page. All right, so what should we help our child to be doing, or stop doing, or maybe reel in in some way? I mean, I need this just as much as anybody else. Please don't think I got this in the bag. Don't have it in the bag. That might increase attention for things like homework or sitting down in class. And, and we, you know, we see our kids frying their brains uh, and, and they can sit for multiple hours, which you talk about in your book, not the same thing. And incidentally, it, it's interesting that research shows, and you put this in your book, that even high schools, schoolers might be only able to sit down for like 45 minutes at a time to, to give their attention, but we expect much, much longer. So onto you, attention is the topic and we need some help and solutions. And and I'll try to
1: keep it concise because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I think it's a fascinating topic. You know, let's focus in on two things here. The first is we call everything attention, but there's lots of different types of attention. And having our kids develop that self-awareness of their attention is a gift for them to have. And, And I've been working on this in myself. So I'm going to walk you through it. So parents, everybody listening, this applies to you as well. Think about yourself. When you're sitting down to do work, you've got those times where you're locked in, you're super productive, things are flowing. And then you've got the time where you get stuck. And the first thing we do is we reach for our phone as a distraction and then we check email and we start bouncing around being aware of what aspect of attention we're using in what moment allows us to then change and redirect. So know that attention is a precious resource. It's one of our most fragile resources, and it's so important. It's one of the last things to develop. And it's one of the first things to be taken away when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're stressed, When we're aging and degenerating. So it's a very fragile, precious resource that we need to protect and we need to foster that development. So when we're at a point where we've got, you know, maybe you're working on your book, you need the highest level attention when you're doing something creative and technical like that. So the worst thing that you can be doing at that moment is task switching. So you should set off all alerts, set aside everything, and you should be doing your most difficult tasks when you're the most fresh and focused. So with our kids, it's making sure that they're not burning their – precious resources, scrolling through TikTok or on Fortnite when they've got homework to do. And I want to be really careful not to vilify technology. It is not mm-hmm. going away. We need to learn how to work together with our kids on this and find a balance. But so to back up again, to be aware of the type of attention when we're using it. So when you're working and you find yourself with your mind starting to wander, be aware of that. So catch yourself doing that. It's okay, all of our minds wander and we'll start to have our mind wandering when we've run out of the energy we need to maintain that sustained attention. That's your brain telling you it's time for a break. You need to get up and move or you need to get a healthy snack. Those are ways to refuel your brain to give more sustained attention. So if you find yourself negative, or distracted or reaching for for anything and everything else, you're using the wrong kind of attention. And that's okay, that kind of attention is needed for other times in life. But if you're trying to be productive, it's not helpful. So be aware of it. And then have that conversation with your kids when they're doing work and say, I see right now that you're using your, it's called environmental attention is what I refer to it as, where you're aware of your environment, but you're not focused in on one task. I see you're in environmental attention right now, Let's, let's switch gears. You know, and then can we do it on your own or do I need to do something to help exercise, food, reduce stress to help that sustained attention? So bringing awareness to yourself so you know what you're using when you're using it um, and guiding our kids through that conversation so they know as well then the other really important thing to understand is we get better at what we practice. Every time we do something in the brain, it utilizes a pathway in the brain. And the more you utilize those same pathways, the stronger they become. So when our kids are spending tons of time on technology, we have to understand that's not two hours of attention. Those are micro bursts of attention strung together with a reward. So they're truly seven seconds or 30 seconds of attention strung together back to back to back. That's different than the 40 minutes of attention we might need to study for a math test. So we have to support our kids in finding that balance. TikTok and YouTube, those things aren't going away. So it's okay to do those things, but it's okay to do it for a set amount of time. And then we need to make sure that every day they're also strengthening sustained attention. We need sustained attention for class. For work, I don't get rewarded throughout my workday as I'm writing or working on a project. The reward might be two years down the road. I need to mm-hmm. still be able to maintain focus and be productive. And, you know, throughout the school day, our kids are asked to use sustained attention. But on the weekends and, and in summer, if we're not purposely adding activities where they're not getting a constant reward or they're activities that only require a very short bursts of attention, then we're strengthening those pathways. And and we see that. I, I heard a, an adult, a friend I was talking to the other day, we were talking about TV shows. And she said, I find myself not being able to sit through a show anymore after yeah. TikTok. She has strengthened the short-term reward pathways, making it harder for her to utilize the sustained attention. So that's
0: fascinating. Wow. We've got to
1: exercise what we need.
0: Oh, that was fascinating. Wow. And I bet you there's a bunch of people who are nodding their heads going, oh, that's me. And that's exactly what's happening. Thank you. So I could do this all day with you because this is fascinating to me. Can you give us your top tip? What would you hope people come away with after listening to this podcast or reading your book that may help them help their kids with their development and helping them thrive? I think it's so important to know that change is possible. Neuroplasticity
1: has been, you know, to me one of the most exciting findings in science the last few decades is understanding that the brain can change and the brain can change at any age, it's never too late. But we need to be purposeful in it. We can't sit back and just hope that it's gonna land where we want it to land. And for parents to know there's things that we do on a daily basis that can contribute to our kids being able to display the best version of themselves, or there's things that we can be doing that make it harder. Then there's also things that we can be doing on a daily basis that's going to help to enhance and support that ongoing development to lead to the things that we want for our kids sustained attention, impulse control, good decision-making, organization,
0: the things that they need to make good decisions in life um, and and in work. Mm, Awesome. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the great work you're doing? Sure. To find out more about me,
1: you can go to DrRebeccaJackson.com or find me on Instagram at, at DrRebeccaJackson. You can learn more about Brain Balance, the company that I work for that delivers programs for kids to strengthen development at BrainBalance.com. And you can go anywhere you buy books, Amazon, com to find Back on Track.
0: Well, awesome. I'm so excited I got to talk to you today. I'm thrilled about all of the information that you provided. I feel like you make brain activity so much more interesting and easy to understand. You do it through your book, but certainly also through this podcast. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Always a pleasure, Robin. Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. We can go up to Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can go to Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm going to be going back and forth with Rebecca Jackson because, wow, isn't she so fascinating? We can chat about it at X, if you're on Twitter, no, X, Dr. Robin. Uh, And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I can't tell you how much that means to us. If you can do that because more people will learn about Dr. Rebecca Jackson. If this has been a great podcast for you, this episode, like tell me about it. We want to know so that other people will use it in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. The book we talked about today is back on track with Rebecca Jackson. So good. My book is How to Talk to Kids About Anything Impossible to Forget, because that's what you're listening to right now as a podcast. And this is all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. I want to thank you for coming to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. I'm revamping my website so you can get on that. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I bet you heard something today and you're like, ah, now I get it. That's great information that you can apply now. Don't worry about what you did in the past. Let's go forward one step at a time. We can really make a change in our children's brains and help them to thrive. Never forget there is always a tomorrow. So there are times when you hear things parenting typically provides that ultimate do over. So try again, do it again. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our doubt, our know how our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are until next time. This is Dr. Robin Silverman with how to talk to kids about anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week.